Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. This week, Pastor Kenny taught from Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 42. We learn from Jesus what it looks like to share the good news in a don't-judge-me culture. How do you, how do you spread the gospel in a don't-judge-me culture? Right? We live in a don't-judge-me culture where people often will say, don't judge me, right? And there's some obvious tension in that because Paul tells his young apprentice uh, uh, named Timothy in Timothy 1, uh, in this first chapter, he goes, you could be confident of this, that Christ came to this earth to save sinners, of which I'm the foremost. And it's not always popular in our society to use words like sin (laughs) or sinner, to, to assume that somebody is a, a sinner, they might say what? Don't judge me. It's a don't judge me culture. And yet, Jesus is going to teach us some things about what it means to not judge in a Christ-centered way. And, and, it, and it shouldn't be in competition to share the good news and also live in a don't judge me culture. And so we're going to see three different things, hopefully, from what Jesus teaches us this morning. And the first one is this. Jesus is going to remind us this morning that everyone has value and can be redeemed by the love of God. Would you say amen to that? Amen. And that is the gospel. The gospel, part of the gospel is that people need to know the condition that they find themselves in, which is that they are a sinner, just like all of us. We all have that in common, but that is not the gospel. The gospel assumes that. The gospel is actually that nobody is beyond God's reach, that God saves sinners like me. And the second thing that we'll see is that Jesus is our mentor. Jesus is the one that we look to as an example, or Jesus is our measuring stick. Jesus is our measuring rod. And the third thing that we'll see is that Jesus calls each of us as believers to grow to maturity as disciples. Jesus wants us to grow to maturity as disciples and then help others grow as well. And we call ourselves disciple-making disciples. And here's a fact. You know how you make healthy disciples? Healthy disciples make healthy disciples. So he calls us to be and to become healthy disciples. And he chunks it up into three parts, or we're going to break it up into three parts. And the first one is in Luke chapter 6, verse 37 through 38. And Jesus very clearly standing on this this plane. He's come down from the mountain. He's already picked his 12 followers that he's going to call apostles. And now he's doing some training, not only with them, but with everybody who's chosen to follow him and be a part of his mission. He's doing some training. This is some training for, for disciples. He says, do not judge. And you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will pour into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So the first thing that we're looking at here, the the context that Jesus is talking about, is something that was very familiar to the Jewish culture and Jewish, Jewish wisdom, and it's this, no unjust scales. That was kind of their, their, their policy of, of good behavior. 
In, in Jesus' day, it was widespread, no unjust scales. And that meant that when you went to the marketplace and you go to a vendor and you were going to buy something from them, they would take their product and they would weigh it on their scale and they would decide how, they were going to, how much they were going to charge you. And so the idea is this. It's simple. Don't rip people off. Don't rip people off. No unjust scales But Jesus goes beyond simple business ethics here, and he's teaching us this, that this has to do with how we assess people's worth. How do we assess people's worth? And Jesus says here, the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And so let's work through this a little bit. First of all, in letter A is this. We live in a a don't judge me culture. Amen? Is that wrong? Well, you'd be confused if you said that was wrong because Jesus clearly goes, don't judge, right? This is coming right from, from, from Jesus' mouth, don't judge. But what does that mean? What is Jesus talking about? That's where the society might have some different opinions. But the question we need to ask is this, in a don't judge me culture, how do we do this? Or better yet, how do we sh- sh- spread the gospel? How do we do our mission of telling people about Jesus in a don't judge me culture. And here's the first thing that I would, I would just start off. When we say, don't judge me, what does that mean? It's not saying, it's not wrong. It is not wrong to hold a conviction that certain things are sin. It's not a prohibition against sincere uh, uh, ethical evaluation. It is okay for us to look at certain things and say, that is clearly not okay. That is wrong. That is bad. That is evil. Certain things are just not okay. It's not judgmental to say sin is sin. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But it is wrong. It is wrong to weigh someone's worth by their current sin. It is wrong to weigh someone's worth by their current sin. In the most practical sense, you would say this. Don't see people as beyond God's reach. Don't judge people. Don't see people as beyond God's reach. And I would just stop early on this sermon and ask you this. Is there anyone in your life who you experience as beyond God's reach? Is there anybody, any segment of the population who you just kind of write off? Remember the story about Jonah in the Old Testament? God sends Jonah to Tarshish. This is a a whole series that we'll do at at some point. It's a a radical thing. But he sends them to Tarshish. And the idea is that Jonah, I mean, he sends them to Nineveh. and, and, And Jonah goes to the exact opposite way to Tarshish. And the thing is, is the Assyrians... Are, are, are Nineveh. Nineveh are the Assyrians. They live close to the northern kingdom of Israel, and they're about to come and conquer them, and they know that. And Jonah is a very patriotic prophet, and God says, go to your enemy who's about to take you over and tell them to repent. And Jonah does not want to. They are beyond God's reach in Jonah's estimation. He doesn't even want them. He doesn't want God to reach them. Is there anybody in your heart, who's beyond God's reach. And then thirdly, in in, in this kind of idea of of don't judge me, what does this look like? In this passage, 
Jesus balances out this don't judge me. He counterbalances it with this idea of do not condemn. Do not judge. Do not condemn. Condemnation is to value someone by where they are. That's kind of a simple way we would put it. Condemnation is to value somebody by where they are, not by where God is calling them to. When we condemn someone, we say, this is how you are. That's just the way it is. That's condemnation. And here at this church, and I would say Jesus taught us that everyone is in process. Amen? We talk about that a lot. Everyone is in process, but the process is not without a purpose. But everyone is in process. And so I would just just give you this kind of measuring stick. When you look at people, do you tend to see how far they've already come? Or do you tend to look at them as how far they still have yet to go? Because that's a condemnation type approach as opposed to a gospel type approach. And we're good news people. Amen? We want to passionately point people to Jesus. As good news people, we want to, we want to find people right where they're at. We want to love them wherever they're at. And we want to believe that the gospel is powerful and that if the gospel is somehow could, get, could, could take over their life, anything is possible. No one is beyond God's reach. And this is what Jesus, I believe, is talking about when he says, don't judge, don't condemn, just don't do it. (laughs) There was a guy, D.T. Niles, in the early 1900s to mid-1900s. He was an African-American pastor, and he famously said this, and I think it's brilliant. He said, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread. And so the key to sharing the gospel, perhaps at least one key to sharing the gospel in a don't judge me culture, is to understand that the cross is the greatest leveling ground on the planet. The cross is the greatest leveling ground on the planet. And the cross, the cross should be the place where both self-pride and self-doubt go to die. What does that look like? What are we talking about? The cross should be the place that both self-pride and self-doubt go to die. And self-pride is thinking that you are good enough. Self-pride is thinking that you're good enough. That should be laid to rest when you embrace the cross. Amen? You weren't good enough. Jesus died on the cross because you weren't good enough. And he gave you his goodness. Amen? So self-pride should go to die at the cross. And self-doubt is thinking that you aren't worth enough. Thinking that you aren't worth enough. That should die at the cross. And then in our Western culture, we combine those together often. And we do this thing where, where we go, I'm too far gone for that Jesus stuff. And it almost becomes your identity and something that you're proud of. I'm a bad boy. I'm, I'm, I'm dark. Right? There's almost this pride that balances together this, this self-pride and this, this, this self-doubt. And we just embrace it. And we say, I don't need Jesus. I don't even want Jesus. I, I just am the way that I am. And Jesus is coming in and, and speaking truth to these things. And he says, all of these things should be put to death. Put to rest when we embrace the cross. And we would, we would gather from that that If that's true, if we're putting those to death as believers, then Christians should be the most humblest people on the planet. Amen? 
as Christians, we should be the most humble people on the planet because we don't deserve God's love or God's forgiveness. And yet he gives it to us freely. Entitlement goes out the window when you face the cross. You don't deserve it. You're not entitled. You're not an entitled, spoiled brat who just is getting what you deserve. Or when God doesn't give you what you want, you didn't get what you deserve. Now mad at God. Yet everything God gives you is a gift. Now you're a worshiper, not an entitled Christian, a worshiping Christian. You didn't earn it, so there's no room for pride because we're saved by grace. And, and this type of humility should be attractive to the world. This, this type of humility should be attractive to the world. And yet when we, when we would ask somebody, if we did a poll, what do you think of, uh, of Christians? What are some adjectives you'd give towards Christian? We probably would hear more things like hypocrites, right? Or even judgy. <laughs> They're very judgy, right? And yet, if we were the most humble people in the planet, facing the cross and letting our pride die, we would actually be more attractive to the world. We would point people to Jesus more effectively. So Christians should be the most humble people on the planet, and Christians should also be the most confident people on the planet. We should be the most confident people on the planet. Why? Because we are God's people. Do me a favor this week. I, I can't speak to this. I wish I could, but find somebody that you know who is a total science geek and ask them this question. How big is the universe? How big is the universe? Let's give you one fact that I'm dorking out on this week. Uh, I, I just heard this somewhere. I don't even remember where. Someone told you know the planet Pluto, right? I mean, is it a planet or not? Let's vote. I don't know, but it's super far away. I didn't know this fact. It was in, it was it was discovered in 1930. In 1930, it is so far away from us in in our solar system that the Earth is always going around the sun, right? Uh, you know. In that many times, how many times have we gone around the sun in that many times? Who's a science nerd? Do you know? Huh? Once a year. Good. <laughs> Did you know this? Did you know this? Pluto's so far away. We're here. Pluto's here. It's orbiting too. And since 1930, it hasn't made it around the sun even one time. That just gives you a picture of how big our little galaxy is. And then find out. We're just this tiny little galaxy among so many galaxies. And the God that created all of that loves you. And has called you to be his child. And all of the resources at his disposal, at your disposal, you should be the most confident person on the planet if you embrace that. The most humble person on the planet and the most confident person on the planet. And we should live our lives that way. That's what Jesus is saying. When he goes, don't judge, don't condemn, he's saying some profoundly relevant things to what it looks like to be the type of people that are passionately pointing people to Jesus. And we're not only baptizing three people, we're baptizing the city of Lomita. That's what he's talking about. And to get back to the context of Jesus' teaching a little bit here, Jesus is teaching in the first century, obviously, and they have this socioeconomic hierarchy that is the norm in the society. And it looks like this. How you value people, your worth in that society, 
was based on a number of factors. What city you were from, who your parents were, what color your skin was, how much money you make, right? Doesn't sound that off from from 2,000 years, right? They have a socioeconomic way that they give worth and balance out who's more important than who. And Jesus is saying that should not be the case in the church. Let me just make this sub point that I think kind of highlights it for you. Some of you guys are, are, are conservative Republican and you, you, you you're just diehard. Others of you are bleeding heart liberals. I love you all. But I just want to make this point. Your brothers and sisters on the opposite side of the political world have more in common with you than anyone else in your political party that agrees with you. We're brothers and sisters. Because there's this leveling ground that happens in Christ where in Christ is what matters. And it doesn't matter if if you've been raised up to know all the rules. Some people are just better people in our estimation because they've been taught to be better people. Some people grew up in neighborhoods where they weren't taught to be better people. And we go, oh, that's a good kid. That's a bad kid. That is what Jesus is talking about. That's just not the way that Jesus wants us to approach and weigh things in this world. Everybody matters. Everyone has a place in Jesus' kingdom. No one is beyond God's reach. We should treat everybody accordingly. That's what he's saying. Don't judge. Don't condemn. So obviously, does this take place in our society? Does this take place in our churches? More... More to heart, does this take place in our own hearts? I think that if any of us, myself included, are saying no to any of those things, especially the heart one, we're just not being honest with ourselves. We just, we just struggle with that as humans. And yet Jesus is saying, work on it. It's important not only for your heart, it's important for the kingdom, it's important for the gospel, it's important for the mission. And so the remedy is really, I think, pretty simple, which is good, right? It's a complex issue with a simple remedy, and it's this. Treat people better than you think they deserve. Treat people better than you think that they deserve. And Jesus frames this out in two practical ways. He says, treat people better than you think they deserve. And he, and he says, let this kind of shape itself out in the way that you give and the way that you forgive. In the way that you give, and the way that you forgive. He says, don't, don't forget that you're a sinner in need of a Savior to forgive. He goes, forgive, and then you'll be forgiven. And I think you, you, you reverse engineer that, and he's, and he's really saying this. Look, do you understand how much you've been forgiven? Therefore, go out and forgive. Go out and forgive. We are sinners saved by grace. Go out and embrace the world. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I've been forgiven so much. How do I not have an attitude of forgiveness? So when you sing in response, we're going we're gonna to sing in response in a while. I still got some more words to say. You can count on that. 
But when we sing in response, I want you to think about this before you open your mouth to sing. Let this be your why this morning that you open your mouth to sing. Just the simple fact you've been forgiven. Weigh in on that. You're not entitled. I'm not entitled. None of us are entitled. God has been so gracious to us. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he forgives us. A mess like me? Forgives me? Yeah, I got a reason to sing. And then he goes, outgive and trust God with the results. Outgive. He goes, give and it will be given to you. Give and it will be given to you. And I would say, you know, when you think about give, I don't know what words come to your mind. This, of course, could be financially, but it, all could, also, it could also just be kindness. Give kindness in a generous fashion. Give, give hard work. When you go to work this week, work harder than you think they're paying you for. Right? That's a gracious, work harder than you think. Work, uh, be a better neighbor than your neighbors deserve. Be a better co-driver on the road than anybody deserves, right? When you go and you get a meal and they give you terrible service, give them the biggest tip you've ever given, right? Treat people better than you think they deserve. You have no idea why they gave you terrible service. Oh, yeah, I do. It's because they're a terrible person. Oh, yeah? Well, what if you sat down and you found out their story and you know how hard their life is right now? Just bless them, right? And, and trust God with the results. This is the idea. Given it will be given to you. Of course, if you, re, if you, if you, if you re-engineered this, you'd say, you have been given so much. So let that be the why you give. Let that be the why. You've been given so much. You didn't deserve. Therefore, give. And he goes, given it will be given to you. And that's where we get the idea of the greater reward. This isn't like, a, hey, if you give 10 bucks, you're probably going to get 20 back or more, right? What you're going to be given, you might get some financial blessing. I mean, that comes along with, with doing a good job and that sort of thing. I get that. But beyond that, what he's talking about is the things that you get in the kingdom, like relationship with God, relationships with God's people. I mean, when, if you talk to the people who went down to Mexico, they gave up a weekend. They, I mean, it was, it was, there were some miserable things. I mean, I just heard about it, and it took an extra, an, an extra three hours to get across the border. That's extra means it's already long. That's above and beyond the already hard part. Does that sound fun? And yet they come back high-fiving each other and raving about it with big old smiles on their face. Why? There's something great about the rewards of God that are unexplainable until you experience them and they're better than the rewards that you can get on this earth it's a better reward give because you just want what God has for you forgive because you've been forgiven trust him with the results it's not fair you want fair that's not what the cross is about you know of all the words you could describe the cross fair is not one of them right so Jesus is like, look, just give and forgive with generosity. And then he says in Luke 6, 39 through 40, he told them a parable. He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? And a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. 
And what Jesus is getting at here is that Jesus is our ethics professor. You guys ever taken ethics? Well, you just did this morning. (laughs) Jesus is our ethics professor. If you have your paper Bible, you can circle, underline, or highlight where it says in verse 40, be like his teacher. And just write in your margins, Jesus is my ethics teacher. Right? Think about it. How did Jesus love people? How did Jesus love people? How did Jesus treat people? How did he treat people? How did Jesus look at people? I mean, read through the Gospels. How did Jesus look at people? How did people, how did Jesus serve people? Right? The scales were weighed with grace in one hand. They weren't only, they weren't only, they weren't only unjust scales. They weren't even even scales. They were gracious scales. That's Jesus' ethic. That's the ethic that we learn from Jesus. John says it in John 1. He goes, Jesus came with grace and truth. We've talked about that before, but just think about it. How many of you guys are, 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 are good at confrontation? Right? It's funny because like some people are like, I hate confrontation. Uh, I just want to hide and you just avoid confrontation. Some people are like, I'll do it. I'll talk. I'll have to talk with them. I don't mind. Right? How many of you guys are good at grace? You're good at, you just like, you're nice and love wins and, and just be loving to everybody and, and just overlook everything. Jesus comes with this perfect balance of grace and truth that's mind-boggling because we all we all shift on one side like the person who is really good at confrontation you can sometimes be mean right the person who 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 is overly gracious you can sometimes be permissive right and Jesus comes with this perfect beautiful truth and grace The truth is that everyone needs Jesus, present included. Everybody needs this Jesus. And the grace is that Jesus came and died on a cross to forgive your sins. Everyone needs Jesus, and Jesus gives himself freely, truth and grace. And the truth and grace is that the gospel is powerful enough to transform anyone's life, mine included. No one is beyond God's redemptive power which we call the gospel. And Jesus did not come to condemn, but to save. It says, remember you guys ever been to a football game or at least old school, like people, when they want to be evangelists, they would hold up their sign and it had a verse. The most famous verse at a football game is what? Right. Or you go to in and out and you get a soda and you look at the bottom, right? It's either Isaiah or Revelation or John three sixteen, right? little trivia if Alex Trebek ever asks you, right? And, and he goes beyond that, though. In, in John three sixteen, he goes, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We know that. And then he goes on, though. He goes, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. Treat everyone with dignity and worth as one beggar who found bread. I'm just happy to tell everybody where you found it in this Jesus. But there's this other element, this other piece. When we look at the Jesus ethic, he's, yes, he's grace and he's truth, 
Yes, he came to forgive sinners. But Jesus often used this line at the end of his gospel transaction, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Jesus was not a permissive rabbi. He was a go and sin no more rabbi. Here's a fact. God loves you just the way that you are. But he loves you so much, he is not going to let you stay that way. That's the idea of balance of truth and grace. God loves you as is. There's no condemnation, but you need this Jesus. And following this Jesus includes growing in your, in your faith. Growing in your relationship with Jesus means becoming more like Jesus. Jesus is our ethics professor. and We're supposed to become more and more like him. And so the last thing that he says in Luke uh, 6, 41 through 42 is this. He goes, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? If you don't, if you're not grasping kind of the genre here, this is the comedy of magic club. This is a joke that Jesus is telling. He's making a joke. Jesus was funny. He goes, look, you got, why are you going around and like, oh, you got a little piece of sawdust on your glasses, right, Kenny? And, and you, you walk up and you got a, a two by four in your eye, right? That's sticking out of your eye. He's telling a joke to make a point. He goes, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that splinter that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your own eye? Seems like it'd be hard to see, right? You hypocrite. Isn't that what people are calling us sometimes? Rather than humble, humble Christian, confident and humble, the word might be winsome, like hypocrite. He goes, oh, first take the beam out of, of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. I want to work through this for a moment. And in your notes is this. What he's saying is that we're supposed to grow to maturity with a purpose. There's a, there's a purpose to our growing. There's a purpose to our process. And I would just ask as we, as we, as we settle in on this sermon, what is God saying to me this morning? What two by fours, let me start here. What two by fours, if you look back at your life, what two by fours has God taken out of your eye? What what two by fours have been in your eye and God has already to remove from your eye? You have some experience with it, maybe. What are some maybe some possible two by fours in your eye right now? He says, first take the beam of wood out of your eye. Right? Remember that you're a sinner saved by grace. This is the primary way that we can see things clearly, the way Jesus see things the way Jesus does. Taking the beam, recognizing that you have beams in your eye, your own, you have your own set of issues. You are a mess. I am a mess. We're fellow messiness, right? We're fellow strugglers. But he says, remembering that you are a sinner saved by grace is a primary way that we can see clearly because he goes, first take the, the beam of wood out of your eye, then you will see clearly. That's what it, that's, that's what it leads to. The number one way to be a good news spreader in a don't judge me culture is to remember that you're a sinner saved by grace. You're a sinner 
Saved by grace, act accordingly. And we're on a mission to share our story of how Jesus transformed our two-by-fours, our lives, our hearts, with every other struggler on the planet. And if we want to be a rehab center for sinners, we've said that at this church, that's one of our goals, to be a rehab center for sinners, then we need to take our own recovery seriously. We need to experience some recovery because healthy disciples make healthy disciples. And God loves you where you're at. Be where you're at, but don't settle there too long. Maybe, God, what are the two-by-fours in my eye? And here's the thing. I wouldn't start with this. God, do I have any two-by-fours in my eye? I mean... If we looked at our eye, I'll just say, I'll just, I won't say we, I'll just say me. You guys ever been to the wood aisle at uh, Home Depot? So you walk down the wood aisle, and you just have stacks of two-by-fours, right? That's what's in my right eye. God, which one do you want to take out now? What do you want to work on now in my heart, in my life? This is what it looks like to be a presenter of the gospel, just to be a fellow struggler. I haven't figured it all out yet, but God's been working on my life. I have evidence of God's work in my life, and I know this, I can be confident of this, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. So he goes, then, then, then take out the splinter in your brother's eye. First take the two by four out of your eye, then you will be able to see clearly. Then, now you have a responsibility, now take the splinter out of your neighbor's eye. And we do this in the context of relationship. We don't go around pulling out splinters out of strangers' eyes, but we get to know each other. We love each other. We help each other. We, 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 we minister to each other. When we see a splinter, we don't come like, oh, you got a splinter in your eye. Your worth goes way down. We're like, well, you got a splinter in your eye. Don't worry, dude. On Monday, I had a two-by-four in my eye. It's just a little splinter. Let's do it together, right? That's the approach that he's telling us when we weigh it. Yours is always a two-by-four, and theirs is always a splinter. Do you see the weight that Jesus is teaching us? He's like, just assume yours are two-by-fours and everyone else's are splinters. We don't often do that, right? We love to go like this. Oh, I just have a little splinter in my eye, but look at that guy with a two-by-four in his eye. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus is teaching So I would just ask this. Who amongst us is ready to sing about the worth of our God this morning? And I want to come back to what I encouraged you earlier. Before you sing one word this morning, just take a moment. Just take a moment and remember how much you've been forgiven. How many two-by-fours he's already taken out of your eye and how many two-by-fours are sitting on the stack You know, still to be handled, but he still loves you anyways. You've been forgiven so much. And how much you've been given. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.